Let's get into the Word. Open up your Bibles to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. We're going to read a setting, a story here that takes us through the end of John's Gospel. And then we're going to hear what the Lord is wanting to say to us today. So verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So he said to him, feed my lambs. And they said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? So he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, so tend my sheep. And then he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had asked him this a third time. Do you love me? And so he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And so Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. And then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who had also leaned on Jesus' breast at supper and said, Lord, who's the one that betrays you? And Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, But Lord, what about this man? So Jesus said to him, If I will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And then this saying went out among the brethren that the disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. But if he willed that he would remain till he came, what is that to him? So this is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there also are many things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. Hey, let's pray. Lord, we just ask you now in Jesus' name to come, God, and, and just really speak to us Really open our, our hearts to hear. Um, give us ears to hear. Help us to see what you want us to see today. Bring this word forth powerfully in a way, God, where it's just it's me getting out of the way and you taking front and center stage, God. I can't do anything without you. Holy Spirit, anoint me, uh, and I pray that you would just flow through me today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So this is an awesome uh story because there's a lot going on here and i'm going to just give you some backdrop kind of to bring us up to speed and then i'm going to dial in sort of zero in on a very specific part of this story for where we're going to head into in our message today okay but this is the close of john's gospel john is the author john often refers to himself as the apostle who jesus loved or the disciple who jesus loved okay um so he's not necessarily full of himself. It just kind of shows the affection and the endearment that the relationship between John and Jesus uh, were. And so there's this setting where Jesus appears to the disciples in a group, and it's the third time that he's done that. Okay, The first time that he did this was back in Jerusalem, and Jesus actually walked through the walls. Because it said the disciples were in a room, and it was sealed up, and it was shut, and Jesus just appeared to them. And so he's resurrected now. He's already died on the cross and he's resurrected and he's appearing to the disciples. He did that for 40 days off and on before he ascended back to heaven to be with the Father uh, in heaven, okay, until he returns again. So 
That was the day that he appeared to the disciples in that room was the same day that he was risen, same day that he appeared to the two Marys. He also appeared to two disciples on the road to Emos. And so this is all starting to transpire right after Jesus is resurrected. A week later, Jesus did the same thing because Thomas wasn't with the disciples in the first time and he started to doubt. And he said, hey, um, unless I see him for myself, unless I touch his hands, touch his side, put my finger in the holes, I, I'm, I don't believe you, right? And then Jesus did, a week later, he appeared when Thomas was there, and he let Thomas put his fingers in his side and in his hand. And he said, look, you see and now you believe, but blessed is he who doesn't see and still believes, right? And so um, that has all transpired, and that was in Jerusalem, and now we find ourselves in this scene at the closing of John's Gospel where the disciples are actually back up in Galilee now. They're on the Sea of Galilee, and they've gone out fishing to get some food, and they are uh, having a bad night, right? They're, they're out fishing all night, and they've caught nothing. Anybody that goes fishing knows, like, that is the worst, right? I mean, at least you get one. You're not skunked. So they've had nothing. And there's this guy sitting on the sea shore on the beach. Of course, we know it's Jesus. And he yells out to them, hey, throw your net on the other side of the boat, on the right side of the boat. So they toss their net out and they pull up a load of fish. It says so big that they actually couldn't even bring the load of fish over the boat. They had to drag it all the way back. And so after this happens, they look over and they realize that this guy that's on the beach is Jesus. And so Peter actually jumps out of the boat. He's so excited. He jumps out of the boat and runs to Jesus through the water. And the rest of them drag the fish back. They come to the beach. And there Jesus is. I love this. Jesus is always prepared. He's got breakfast ready. (laughs) It says that he had a fire with hot coals. And he had bread and he had fish going. Pretty cool, right? So Jesus has already got this thing going on. They bring this load of fish in. And this is where this scene starts to unfold. After breakfast, Peter and Jesus have this little exchange. Now, the first part of this, just going to touch on, not going to dig into this in depth, but Jesus has the exchange with Peter where he asks him three times, do you love me? And on the third time, Peter's grieved because he's like, why are you asking me this so many times, Lord, right? Um, Sometimes I feel that way with my kids. Like, why are you asking me a sixth time? I don't, you know the answer. Anyway, so... Jesus says, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? And and what Jesus is basically doing is he's restoring Peter. Because Peter, not long ago, had just denied Christ, if you remember, three times. Right? When Jesus was getting drugged and getting ready to be put up on the cross. And so Peter's in this place where he's probably just grief-stricken. He's probably just a mess because of what has happened. And Jesus is coming in resurrected form And Peter is actually going to be the leader of the apostles to really break through the New Testament church. It's it's very clear that Peter was the initial apostle that was going to take the lead on that. And so Jesus is coming back here to talk with Peter because this thing hasn't been settled yet. And he needs to restore Peter. And he needs to get Peter right. And so he says, "Do do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And he restores Peter, right? So now Peter can really step into this calling. But... There's actually one more thing that Jesus does, and that's where we're going to go today. He, asks, he, he says this thing where he said, you know, when you were younger, you girded yourself, and you went where you wanted to go, and when you're older, somebody else is going to gird you, and they're going to lead you where you don't want to go, and if you didn't have the verse after that, you'd be like, what does that mean? 
Like the dude needs a new belt or what? Like, I don't know. What does that mean, right? And Jesus, it says that, no, he said this signifying by what death he would die. Now, early centuries church tradition suggests that Peter was martyred by way of crucifixion, but he was crucified upside down. All right? It doesn't say that in the Bible, but it says it in early church history from a lot of the writings in the first couple hundred years. It also suggests that Peter lived about 40, almost 40 years past this particular point. So he did grow to be an older man. But when Jesus, so it says when he said this, he signified by what death he would die. So he said you spread out your arms. So Peter was crucified, but he refused to be crucified like the Lord and Savior. He wanted to be crucified upside down. All right, so, so that's what happened. But the question is, why would you tell him that? Why would you say that to the guy? I mean, I can tell you this right now, it's not an attractive benefits package. So can you tell me a little bit more about the position, Jesus? Yeah, well, first of all, you're going to die a horrible death. Um, it's not going to end well at all. Yeah, sure, sign me up. I mean, it's, it's not attractive at all. Why would you tell a guy that? Guy? Why would you tell a guy? <laughs> Sorry, that's fine. <clears throat> I'll tell you why I told him. Because there was something about Peter that Jesus needed to root out. There was something about Peter, a weakness in Peter's life, that Jesus needed to root out if Peter was ever going to become all that he was created to be, Andy. Jesus had to deal with this thing. And what was that thing? It was an insecurity. And let me just say this. If any of us are going to be all that God is calling us to be, that he's created us to be, then there is no room for insecurity to be a part of how we walk with God. Because insecurity actually... Can, it interferes with us being able to go into the depths of an intimacy in a relationship with God that we need to in order to get where God is leading us to. How do we know that it was an insecurity that he was addressing? It's really simple. Because of Peter's response. Do you notice what Peter said when Jesus told him, you're going to die a really bad death? I mean, I don't... I, Sometimes I think, well, I wouldn't have said that. And, you know, you don't know unless you're there, right? But I think, well, I would, I would have probably been like, oh, can we, can we talk about it, Jesus? Like, I mean, can we maybe rethink that thing? Or, you know, can you just, like, take me up in the cloud like you did Elijah? Like, that was really cool. I'd, I'd prefer to go that way, you know? But that's not what Peter says at all. Peter says, get this. He looks to the apostle that Jesus loved, which we know is John, and he says, what about him? <laughs> it's crazy. Hey, if we're honest, we've all been in this place before. I'm just saying, we're going we're gonna to unpack this today. We're all going to be like, okay, I get it. I'm Peter. All right. But he says, what about this guy? What about John? What's going to happen to him? <laughs> and Jesus says, if I will that he should remain until I return, what's it to you? What's it to you? You, you, you follow me. I mean, he's stern with him, right? He's, he's being straight with, with Peter here. He says, if I will for him to remain, what's it to you? Now, it's funny because there was a rumor. <laughs> 
Don't you love rumors, right? I mean, even they had rumors, right? It says a rumor got started that this disciple would live forever. And then it says, but that's not what Jesus said, and that's not what he meant. He just said, if I want him to live forever, what's it to you? And I think that Peter was struggling with this thing, you know, because when you read the, the Gospels, seemingly, there, there's a little bit of a rivalry between Peter and John for Jesus' affection. I mean, they were always right at the center. You know, Jesus had 12, but there were really three that were close that were right there, James, John, and Peter. They, Jesus took them three up on the mountain when he was transfigured. They were kind of always at the heart of what was going on. And, uh, and, and John, he always refers to himself as the, as the apostle that, that Jesus loved. I mean, I wonder what Peter was thinking if he would have read that. Like, dude, why do you got to say that, you know? Like, why do you got to rub it in, you know? But there's like a little bit of rivalry. In fact, there's this really awesome scene. I always laugh when I read this part. When the angel appeared to Mary Magdalene and said, go and tell the disciples and Peter <laughs> that I'm resurrected. It says that she went and then she told Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved. So she told them both. And it says, Peter took off running, get this, but the apostle whom Jesus loved outran him. He beat him there. It was a foot race in John 1. Like, Peter is not doing good with this. Why does he got to love him more, you know? And so when Peter finds out he's going to die a really bad death, the only thing that he can think of is, what about John? What about the other guy? And, Peter, and Jesus is like, if I want him to live forever, what is it to you? It's between me and him. Let's talk about between me and you. You follow me. That's what we need to figure, get straight here, right? And he's, he's rooting this thing. I, I think maybe if Jesus would have been like, oh, he's going to die a horrible death too. Peter would have been like, oh, good, okay, oh, that's a lot much better. <laughs> Whew. Man, I was just worried. Like, I was the only one, you know? And Like, why is that better? Well, let me ask you another question. Why would he not want the guy to live forever? Why would he not? Because there's this deep insecurity in Peter and what he's doing is he's resorting to something that any of us who struggle with insecurity do. And if we're honest, the harder we struggle with it, the more often we do it, he starts comparing. He starts comparing himself to other people. And in this particular case, it just happens to be John. And Jesus recognizes that this insecurity is going to have to get dealt with. It's going to have to get rooted out. Otherwise, frankly, Peter has no chance of taking the role that, that God is calling him into. There's no way he can function in this level of leadership and anointing if he's going to battle insecurity for the rest of his life. And Jesus is going to have to deal with it. And I love it because he has no, he has no like, he's not coddling it. He's not having sympathy for it. Right? I mean, Jesus doesn't, whenever Peter says that, Jesus doesn't go like, you know, Peter, look, buddy, it's okay, man. It's going to be all right. Look, let me, come here. Let me encourage you. Let me give you a hug, man. Peter, it's going to be all right. I know you're down. I know you're discouraged, but let me just cheer, pump you up, Peter. Jesus doesn't do that. He has no sympathy for this. Like, Jesus is not, he, he, he's not dealing lightly with insecurity. I know a lot of times whenever we've got something, you know, fun for our kids, maybe it's like, I don't know, a popsicle or some kind of a treat, you know, or whatever. And so you say, hey, guys, we got something for you. And, you know, like I'm running in like an army and ambush you in the, 
kitchen and they line up, you know, and you start handing them out. <laughs> and inevitably, I guess this is a kid thing, inevitably, yeah, one of them's like, Mine's, his is bigger than mine. I wanted the one that she's got. I want that one, the blue one, the red one. And you're like, stop it. I got no tolerance for that. Jesus didn't have any tolerance for this either. Right? Because you're like, look, you're, you're, you can't possibly be thankful for what you have if you're worried about what you don't have. Come on, right? I mean, you can't possibly see what you need to see if you're looking at what the other guys got or the other kids got. I mean, is this not true in our lives? Like God say, look, I'm doing a fresh work in your life. I'm doing something awesome. I'm doing something great. You're unique. I'm doing and you're looking at what the other guys got or what you don't have. And this has become your point of focus now. And if that's your point of focus, you can't possibly be seeing what God's wanting you to see, which is what he's doing in you and through you right now. And your eyes is, are, is off the prize. The Bible says in the book of Romans that those who set their eyes on things of the flesh will live according to the flesh. But those who set their eyes on the Spirit will live according to the Spirit. Let me ask you, are we supposed to walk according to the Spirit or according to the flesh? According to the Spirit. So if we look to the other guy... Are we, are we setting our eyes on things of the Spirit? No way, right? And we get caught up in this situation where we start comparing and ultimately, guys, that never ends well. Because ultimately, it can only turn out a few ways if you compare yourself to anybody. Look at the person next to you for a sec. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Don't do that. Look, you can either see yourself as better than, equal to, or less than. Those are the only outcomes when you are comparing to someone else. If you see yourself as better than, then you're in danger of becoming prideful. If you see yourself as less than, then you're in danger of getting discouraged. And you think you're not enough, and you're not equipped. You feel like maybe you got the short end of the stick. And when we, when we do that, when we start comparing and we start putting other people as our point of comparison, then we've already moved away from the place we need to be, which is the only standard that we are supposed to compare against is God's standard. It's His Word and it's who He's calling us to be and what He's leading us into. He has uniquely... <laughs> created you. Do you understand that? He has uniquely wired you in every way, shape, or form. Frankly, we can't possibly understand the level of complexity to God's design. We're body, mind, and spirit, and we barely understand the mind, and there's certainly more to the spirit than we ever could possibly know. And God has created each of us specifically with that makeup in a very unique way. And when we start to compare ourselves to other people, then we begin to move away from the actual beauty and the uniqueness of what God's design that He's intending for us to have is. And let me say this, okay? I can only be Matt Heck. 
You can only be Bob Johnson. I'm not talking to you, Emma. I'm talking to Bob, actually. You can only be Bob Johnson. You can only be who you are. You can never be the person next to you. And you're not supposed to be. In fact, there's no way that you could have faith to become someone you're not created to be. And the Bible says it's impossible to please God without faith. Think about that for a second. You have to have faith for who God's created you to be, and then God can make you into that. He can raise you up into that. But it is impossible for you to have faith to become someone that you're not created to be. In fact, you'll fail miserably at it. You will. We all will. Because that's not what God's wanting to do. But Peter's in this place where he's worried about the other guy. He, he's concerned about what's going to happen to John instead of what Jesus is wanting to do in him. And, and Jesus sets him straight. Because he knows that not only does Peter need to be secure in who he is in Christ, but he needs to raise up people who are walking in that same type of truth and that same kind of security. Because this is what I've found. When we are really secure in who we are in God, then there's really nothing that anyone can say that can derail us. I mean, it hurts, right? It does. It cuts a little bit. But at the end of the day, it's really what God says and what God thinks. So when we're secure and who we are in Christ, then we're not really threatened to be upended or upset or thrown off by what someone else's false opinion or misunderstanding of us might be. Now, however, if we're insecure, then even a bad look can throw us on in and can turn us upside down. Every little thing that comes against us can begin to threaten that place of security in us. And frankly, living insecure is a miserable way to live. It's a tormenting way to live. That's why God didn't create you to live like that. That's why he said there's this place of security that I want you to know and that I want you to walk in. And if we are in an insecure place in who we are in Christ, guys, it will always threaten, it will always interfere with the greater levels of our destiny that God is calling us to. Because frankly, you can't handle the weight of God's calling in your life if you're harboring this immature spirit because of a thing of insecurity that's in you. It just can't happen. And God needs to root that stuff out. You know what else it does? Is it makes us vulnerable to the enemy when we start to compare. This point alone should cause us to run from this thing as fast as we can and, and just try to grab onto God and hold on and say, God, take me away from this. Listen to this. James chapter 3, verse 16. Where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Wow. When we start comparing and desiring what other people have, and become envious, it cracks the door to the enemy in our lives. Do you see that? It cracks the door. Do you think he cares how he gets a crack in your life? He will put his foot right in there at the first chance that he can get. And he will try to come in 
and begin to wreak havoc and destroy the work of God in our life. And if He can develop these deep insecurities in us, cause us to just try to ultimately like find our security by way of comparison. You know, that can never happen. There's false security. I mean, we can think that it's actually, we're attaining that, but in reality, we never can. We can't stand on it. It's not solid. It can't hold us up. And if we're trying to find that security from other things instead of in God, it will never last. It will never sustain itself. And so it opens the door to the enemy in our lives. But the other thing that it does is that it's really a sign of like a deep mistrust in God. Let me explain. If I'm comparing myself to someone else and I feel like I'm jealous or envious or I don't have and I'm looking at all of these things, ultimately when you get right down to it, it really does reflect a mistrust in God. It says like, he missed something with me. He forgot something with me. He, he should have gave me something that he forgot to give me. That's what it's saying. I know, you know, sometimes the kids, they like to make desserts, and Katie will kind of give them a recipe, and they'll do it, and they're getting really good at it. But when they first started, you know, they would whip things up, and then you'd, they'd be done in the oven or whatever, and you'd go to eat them, and then like something was missing. I don't know what it was, but something got left out there, and everything was wrong, right? God never does that. He's never done that because he's perfect, which means you're his creation, which means that he created you perfectly. He knew exactly what he was doing. He didn't forget to put anything in you when he created you. We need to trust God and see the beauty and the uniqueness, the reflection of Him in exactly who He's created us to be and the uniqueness of our purpose and our destiny that He has wired us for. No one else could ever walk in your shoes. No one else could ever be you. That should say something to you. That you should trust the Creator of heaven and earth who created the cosmos and the planets and the stars and everything in this earth and also you that you should trust him that he's designed you exactly the way that he wanted you to be and that as we seek him to become all that he's created us to be we find our purpose in him and in him alone not by looking over in other places and let me say this too you shouldn't be trying to become some expectation that someone else has placed on you either can I say that again? You shouldn't be trying to become some expectation that someone else has placed on you either. You should be looking to God and to God alone for that. He is the creator of our purpose. He wrought us in secret, in the secret place, and He was the only one there when it happened. So He's the only one who can be asked about its being. Does that make sense? So we go to Him and to Him alone for that. But whenever we kind of mistrust God and we, we feel like we've been short-ended, ultimately what it causes us to do, and this is a, this is a shame, um, and it's a sad thing when this happens in the body of Christ, honestly, I just, because we're really supposed to be the reflection to the world, there's supposed to be a difference, you know, in the church and in the world, and so when, you, when this happens in the body of Christ, it's, it's sad, but when we're struggling with insecurity, it makes it 
difficult, almost impossible, for us to really rejoice and celebrate with other people when they get blessed. It makes it really hard because we can't see past our, our own security. But here's the reality. If we're going to really be honest about what the Word says, we have to love people that way. We have to be able to rejoice with other people when God is blessing them and they're seeing favor and good things are happening for them. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs chapter 3, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your ability to act. The power of your hand to do so. Do not withhold. But when insecurity is all around us, we're withholding because we simply can't get to a point where we can offer that to people. Because our insecurity is rivaling that and it's winning out. But the, Jesus even said, he said, look, the, he was speaking about the, the law and the old command. He said, look, the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then it also says to love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, on these two, I hang all the law. Like, this is it. This is the main thing. Love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Now, that doesn't mean, Paul, to, like, narcissistic, egotistical love myself. It means you got a revelation of how God sees you, and you know you're unique, and your identity is in Christ, and only when you see that can you really love other people the way he's asking you to. If you don't, you simply can't love them that way. And, and the, the beautiful thing is God's screaming at us. He's, he's yelling, I've made you perfect. I've made you unique. I've created you special. I have great and mighty things for you that if you'll call to me, I will answer and show them to you. I'll give you my spirit. In fact, I'll put it in you so you've got the power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. I'm going to put that spirit in you, and that spirit, that power is going to be able to make you into everything that I've created you to be. And it's a special, perfect thing. And when we see that, we can truly begin to love other people the way God is calling us to. Friends and enemies alike, just love them. Celebrate when God is doing good things in people's lives. When good things are happening for them. Because let me ask this, when God does anything... Is it anything but good? It's always good. And anything God does is worthy of praise. Meditate on such things, the Bible says, right? And so we, we see that. But I'll just tell you this story as I wrap down. I'll never forget, <clears throat> there was a, a time when I was just going into ministry. So this was in 2011. I was 20 years old. And... Uh, <laughs> And, you know, I was excited, certainly, zealous, ready for what God had for me. But there was this thing that I was doing, and I honestly didn't even recognize so much that there was error in what I was doing. But I was really, like, comparing myself to other pastors and, and other preachers. And I would find somebody that had a style, you know, just a way of delivery. I don't know, just something about the way that the anointing was on them. And I'd be like, that's who I'm going to be like. And then the problem with that was is then I'd see somebody else. 
who had something really attractive and unique. And I thought, no, 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 wait, wait. That's who I want to be like. And this happened, and I had like maybe four or five uh, individuals that I was kind of viewing that way. And one day, I was in a service, much like these encounter services that we're going to be doing on Tuesday nights here coming up. Woo! Anyway. Uh, and the power of God was just landing in the place like mightily. I mean, it was just, people were just being overwhelmed by the presence of God, and, and I was in the same boat. <clears throat> and the Lord just overtook me. His love was just pouring into me, and I just, I just got down on my knees. I couldn't even stand, actually, because it was so powerful. And I just began to weep and began to pray, and, and the Lord just started to speak to me. And I hear the Lord a lot, but this was... This was different. This was a really powerful moment where it was like the Lord was just speaking and just pouring things into me. And I thought to myself in the moment, like, okay, this is a great opportunity to ask this question. <laughs> like, why would you do that, you know? And I thought, this is great. I'm going to ask God, which one is it? You know, which guy is it? Seriously. And so I said, Lord, like, I'm getting ready to go into ministry. I'm leaving the business world. I'm stepping out. Like, I see these guys. Like, Lord, which one am I supposed to be like? Who, who am I supposed to be like? I'll never forget for the rest of my life. I mean, I'll never forget this. It was almost like what the Lord said came with a little bit of chastisement. And he was like, stop it. Stop it. He's like, I have created you uniquely. You can't compare to anything because there's nothing out there that exists that's you. He said, if you try to do that, you're going to mess up what I'm trying to do in you. Stop trying to compare because there isn't a point of comparison that exists. You need only to look to me and let me show you and do in you what I'm creating you to be. It changed my life. It literally changed my entire approach to how I was pursuing ministry. Since then, you know what I've learned? It's great to expose yourself to other anointings. Like when I say don't compare, you know, I'm not talking about learning from good examples, gleaning things from people. That's not what I'm saying, right? I'm saying it's good to expose yourself to other giftings, other anointings, glean things, catch things, let things rub off on you. But don't you dare for a minute ever think that God has not wired you to be exactly unique in who you are and that he's trying to make you into someone or something else that's already out there. You are not a carbon copy. You are unique and God has created you that way and if you will allow him to, he will do a design, a work in you, in your life that is a major accomplishment for the kingdom of heaven. He will do it in a unique way and he will do it according to the, the way that he has created you for that. And I think that's a beautiful thing that we should be able to celebrate, that we should be able to rejoice in, that we should be able to see what other God is doing with other people because frankly, he can bless us all. Like he is not limited, like there's not just a little bucket of blessing and he only has so much to go around. And when other people get it, then we get left out. Like God's God. He can bless us all. In fact, let me say this. He wants to bless all of his children. 
He wants to do that. And when other people are getting blessed, when other things are happening in other people's lives, there is absolutely no threat that you are going to be disadvantaged. Or that you're going to miss out on something that God wants to pour out to you for the windows of heaven. It's impossible. Because God has it. He's got, he's, owns everything. And He's unlimited in His resources and His ability to bless. Let's end with this. On chapter uh, 139 of Psalms. And I want you to, as we read this, I want you to fit, let this like, be a love letter to you from God's heart. Because that's really what these verses are. All right? Verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You know what? I've, I don't I haven't done this ever, I don't think. Can we read this together? Can we say these verses together? We just read them out loud? All right. Because I want you to declare this today. I want you to speak this. I want you to release these words into the air. Okay? Where you formed me in my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they are all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Wow. Does that not sound like an amazing letter to you from your heavenly Father? Does that not sound like a beautiful truth and purpose that just declares your uniqueness, how special you are, and what God wants to do in and through you in your life? No one out there can take that place. It's only reserved for you. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's give him a shout today. Stand to your feet.